Come on, if you know God's fighting for you. Woo! Hallelujah, hallelujah. How many of you understand that in one place God said, the battle doesn't belong to you, but the battle is the Lord's? Woo, I remember one battle in the word of the Lord where God said, all I need you to do is get out of the way. Send Judah in front of the battle and then step out of the way for ye shall not have to fight this battle. Sometimes all God needs you to do is quit worrying about the enemy and just show up and give him the praise. Quit worrying about your haters. Uh, quit worrying about your circumstances. Uh, quit worrying about the trouble. Uh, when you come through the door, uh, make up in your mind. Uh, I ain't got time for the distraction. Uh, I've got to give God the... Somebody ought to just do it right now. Somebody ought to just take about 60 seconds uh, on this Tuesday night uh, and lift up the King of Kings. Come on, he's higher than your trouble. He's higher than your conflict. Uh, he's greater than your... Hallelujah! Woo! High five about six people on the way to your seat. Tell him he's higher. He's higher. He's high. He's higher. Anybody walking in victory on this Tuesday night tonight? Come on, is there anybody walking in victory on this night? Amen. You can be seated for just a few moments. I want to take a, a, a couple of moments to say thank you to everybody that was faithful to the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. The itsy bitsy spider went up the water spout, down came the rain, and washed half the saints of God out. <laughs> Amen. I don't know about you, but I serve a God that walks on the water and bids me to come. Amen, somebody. Amen. Thank God. Turn to your neighbor. Tell him it's good to see you here tonight. Amen. To all of those joining us online tonight, we're so glad that you jumped on and connected with us. There's no telling what God's going to do in this place before we leave tonight. Amen. So good to look out tonight. And I uh, saw uh, Miguel here in the house of the Lord with us tonight. Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday, Brother Leal, and I don't know who all was with him, Brother Donnelly, maybe somebody else, and they were teaching him a Bible study when he got the revelation of Jesus' name, baptism, and they said, let's not even wait to get to the house of the Lord. They went over to the swimming pool, and he was baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of his sins came out of the water speaking in tongues as God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And he's in the house of the Lord on Tuesday night. Let's give God a praise for this new brother in Christ tonight. Amen. Amen. We're so grateful for what the Lord is doing. How many of you are thankful for what we experienced in the house here on Sunday? Amen. What a powerful touch from God. If you weren't here Sunday night, you missed it. Sister Tabitha Holt preached the paint off the walls. The sifter is no match for the master. And uh, what a great time in the Holy Ghost we have had this week. And what an exciting week we have coming up. So many amazing things going on in the house of the Lord. How many of you remember this upcoming Sunday? will be Revival Sunday with Pastor Miles Young. First Lady Sheila Young will be in the building with him. It's going to be an incredible weekend. You don't want to miss it. Get everybody you can. Load them up and get them to the house of the Lord. God's going to be doing something special. Amen. 
Amen. I am very honored tonight to bring to this desk a, uh, a man who uh, in recent days has become part of the fabric of what God is doing here at the Rock Church. I do not remember exactly the first time that I met Brother Stewart's acquaintance. Over the years, I have traveled many times to the church that he grew up in. And somewhere along the way in the past few years, we were uh, introduced to each other and I knew of him. And just in the past year's time, in a way that only God can do, God's sovereign way of doing things and in his divine providence, God began to move on this man's heart and his family. And in such an incredible and unique way, God connected them to this house and I don't know how long ago it's been now, a few months, several months ago at this point, I got a phone call uh, one evening from this dear man, and uh, the will and the plan of God began to unfold in such a powerful, powerful way. And we are blessed beyond measure that God saw fit to bring the Stewart family to Fort Myers, Florida. How many of you thank God for this precious family? Amen. And uh, they, they are just first-class people. And Brother Stewart and Sister Stewart both have a powerful anointing upon their lives. And it is evidenced in the anointing that is fruitful in the lives of their two amazing children, Sister Skyler and Brother Mason. We love them. These are some amazing, amazing young people. And um, fruit, uh, lemons don't come from apple trees. Y'all understand that? And apples don't come from pear trees. And so when you see young people and children who uh, display incredible traits of godliness. It is a testament to the tree that they are connected to. And uh, we are so grateful for this family that God has brought them to Fort Myers, Florida. And Brother Stewart is a powerful preacher, a great man of God. And I am so excited. If we just stand as we prepare for the word of the Lord in this place tonight, I want him to come tonight and deliver whatever God has put on his heart. Brother Stewart, we love you and your family so much. We're grateful you're here. You're at home tonight. We love you. Would you help me give him a great home field advantage? Hand clap tonight. Preach the word, Brother Stewart. Hallelujah. Let's turn this hand clap to God right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, is he be good to you this week? Come on, I know you may be tired in your body, but does he deserve your best praise? I don't want a hospital bed for me to give my best praise to God. I don't need my finances turned upside down for me to thank God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm so thankful to be in the house of God tonight. You can't make this story up. And every day, just like Bishop's story, me and my wife, we wake up and we don't understand why and we don't know how. And we don't feel like we deserve it. But we thank God that we're in paradise. Not just geographically speaking, but I've never met a more hospitable, wonderful church family as the Rock Church of Fort Myers. I'm not saying that to make you feel good, but we're so thankful. I'd like to say just a couple words real quick. I, I'm very thankful for everybody that has welcomed me and my family here with open arms. It means, it means a great deal to me. To move your family halfway across the globe, it seems like, and to have them just pick up right where we left off. Thank you so much. Tonight, I'm going to preach what God's put on my heart. We're going to go 
I'll try to be uh, timely tonight. But I really truly believe in the Holy Ghost that God knew who was going to be here tonight. I said he doesn't get it wrong. He doesn't make mistakes. He, uh, he knows who's here. He knows your needs. He hears your prayers. And God has a word for you. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, we'll start at verse 20. 2 Samuel 21, say amen when you got it. And there was yet a battle in Gath, where was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers, on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. And he also was born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Can you say with me, by the hand of his servants? With the help of the Holy Ghost tonight, I want to talk to us for a few short moments about a generation in need of giant killers. A generation in need of giant killers. I said the world doesn't need another performer. They don't need another entertainer. We don't need another social media influencer. We don't need another actor with the world's agenda. But we need some Holy Ghost-filled armies. I said we need somebody that knows, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I said we need an army that knows Acts 2.38. They need an army that knows there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. They need a, an army that says we know his name is Jesus. I said we know his name is Jesus and the demons tremble. Hallelujah. Let us give him a hand clap of praise as we're seated in the fear of the Lord. The world would have us believe that they are killing our own giants for us. Uh, the church needs to take a back seat because the world's paving the way for victory, restoration, and a new world order. Uh, they seem to be tearing down multi-generational strongholds and walls that they are bringing us closer together by dividing us more than we've ever been. They're claiming new territories. They're breaking barriers. We seem to have uh, men athletes and male role models wearing dresses in the name of fashion. I said women are so independent that they've cut them own selves out of their own circle. Couples who don't believe in the sanctity of marriage anymore or commitment, that's just old-fashioned. And if we're not careful tonight... We'll start to listen to the voices of this world. As they so often do, they list their giants that they've killed, and eventually we'll start to believe that our purpose on this battlefield of life is simply to exist. I got a message for the devil tonight. I want every devil in hell to hear me right now. You were made to be a giant killer. You didn't miss the wrong generation. The Bible said for a generation such as this, I said you were born for this hour. As I lay the groundwork tonight, we tend to lean on 
entertainers and politicians and athletes for our influence. And what the world really needs is some more Bishop William Seymours and Bishop Holmes and Godairs and Elders and Youngs and Wilsons. Maybe some Cavanesses and Coons and G.T. Haywoods. Maybe then we can establish what a real world order would look like. We would seemingly think that the ship has sailed for us, but tonight God has strategically placed you in this hour on purpose. He knew the giants you would face, the devils you would see, and still he called your number as you were. Tonight I'll read from you two mainly texts, first starting with 1 Samuel 17, both dealing with David. The Bible says, and David is trying to convince Saul that he's the man for the job to defeat Goliath. And he says, David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail, because of him thy servant will go. And fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. When I look at this church tonight, I've been to a bunch of churches. Maybe you have too. And some may say that youth is a disadvantage, but I'm here to tell you tonight that youth has nothing to do with the battle. Age has nothing to do with anointing. It has everything to do with discipline. It has everything to do with your commitment. It has everything to do with your personal consecration. The Bible tends to show us two parallels right here between Saul and David and their direct correlation of how the anointing is utilized. I can't help but wonder the Bible says that if you delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And Israel saying that they wanted a king and God advising that this wasn't a good idea, he tends to give them Saul desires after their own heart. And what they tend to learn is that while Saul's stature is physically greater, while Saul comes from a more prestigious family, while Saul is older in age, and while Saul has seemingly more experience, it has no bearing whatsoever on God's anointing of who he lays his hand on. If you'll get it mistaken tonight, you'll start to think that you're not old enough to serve in the kingdom of God. You'll start to think that you ain't had the Holy Ghost long enough to teach a Bible study. You'll start to believe that God hasn't had a relationship with you long enough to let the anointing of God flow through you. This isn't how God uses people. It's not so much on the outward appearance or what a man has accumulated on this earth, but it's all on the inward man. It's everything to do with no size limitations or age restrictions. There's no experience required in this office. In the office of a giant killer, 1 Timothy 4 and 12 says, Let no man despise thy youth. Be thou an example of the believers. I hope I don't rub nobody the wrong way, but it says in word, in conversation, and in charity. I'm going to dig in a little deeper right here. Because in word has to do not only with how you speak in the house of God. I said it's got to do with how you conduct yourself in your school. It has to do with how you speak on your job site. It's got to do with when you're with your friends. How are you going to carry yourself? He says in conversation, in word, and I, I've been around I'll, just for y'all's two cents. I was born in the Pentecost, thank God. 33 years I've been seeing the church, and while we've got many great things, it says in charity. I've been to more restaurants, sat at more tables with Christians, and they have no idea what the heart of God is when it comes to charity. 
We have no problem asking God to deliver when there's no more bank account at the end of the month and when the funds have dried up. But where were you at whenever you got the bonus on your job or when you didn't have the money to give, but God pulled at your heartstrings to be a blessing to somebody else? He says, in charity and spirit and faith and in purity. 1 Timothy 4 and 14 says, neglect not the gift that is in thee. There is a common analogy that's used between two dogs. And when it talks about the gift that is within you, I want you to understand that who you are sitting on this pew, the gift is with you. When you're in this church and it's, when it's with you when you're outside of this church, at the end of the day, whatever you choose to feast your mind on, whatever you choose to place before your eyes, whatever you choose to place in front of your children's eyes, whatever boundaries you ultimately decide for your family, you're deciding how you're guarding that gift. And that analogy says that at the end of the day, whatever dog you feed most, whatever dog you tend to feed, it don't matter if you run the aisles and it doesn't matter if you travail until tears are running off the altar. But as soon as you get in your vehicle, you got that certain music you can't put down. It just seems that there's something before your eyes that nobody else has in your circle of conviction over, but God is steady dealing with you. I said be careful when God deals, deals with you on an individual level. There's nothing more personal or intimate with God when God says, for you, I'm setting another boundary. For you, you can't go there. For you, you can't partake of it. Why? Because you're delicate. You're a treasure. I'm going somewhere. Just stay with me tonight. 1 Timothy 4 and 16 tells us to take heed unto thyself. And unto thy doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Can I just teach you for one moment? It would be a tragedy on judgment day when the people that are a part of your circle don't know anything about God. And you're seemingly standing in the line of judgment trying to justify to God why you deserve to be in heaven and all your accounts. And they don't know the individual in front of them. It says that. When you know your doctrine and when you are digesting it, when you're taking heed to not just what your pastor's preaching, but you're living it, it won't only save you, but it will ultimately save the people around you. And you won't even have to try at it because when you really live for God hard, I said when you really live for God hard, people know which way you walk. In 1 Samuel 17... The Bible's talking about thy servant, David. Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And I've heard this, and I would tend to agree with it, and I'd like to expound on it. A lot of people say that whenever Samuel came looking for the next king to anoint that Jesse hid him. Yeah, he, he put him in a backfield because as a parent, you don't know what your children's worth is. And as a parent, you don't know what your children's potential is. And as a parent, you have no idea what they are going to do or what they can do. I tend to believe the latter that Jesse, in his parental intuition, knew who David was. He knew who David was. He knew who he was as a person, but he also knew that there was something different about David. There, He knew something was a little bit different about the way he walked. I tend to believe that Jesse realized that there was something peculiar with David. Maybe he didn't go to the same place as some of the other youth went. Maybe he carried himself different. Maybe Jesse found him all alone trying to hear the voice of God at a young age. Maybe he wasn't out in the streets trying to find trouble, but he actually had a love for the things of God. 
And I have to believe tonight, I felt in the Holy Ghost, I'll take just a little bit of liberty, but he says that, you know, thy servant kept his father's sheep. You can't tell me that a father that owns farm animals doesn't understand the inherent dangers of keeping sheep. So a man owns a flock of sheep and he places his boy out there and a father's love could be tough love, but at the end of the day, he understands the hardships. What might come when you have to stay overnight out in the open with your sheep? He understood that there were some dangers that would maybe take place. The bear and the lion never took Jesse by surprise because in my mind's eye, I see Jesse sending David out to oversee a flock. But at the end of the day, he was thinking, David, this is far from the giants you'll exceed in your day. This is far than just a bear or a lion you're going to see in your ministry. But son, you're going to lead a kingdom. Much like some of us in our flesh carnal nature, we seldom see the benefit of where our father, where our father, our shepherd, where our pastor, where our preacher, where he may put us, as insignificant as it may seem at the moment. He sees that the nature of the task that you're doing and the propensities and the things in your spirit, things you have to learn, but he understands that there's some lessons that are going to benefit you for your full potential where God's leading you. 1 Samuel 17 and 32 says, and he is basically pleading with Saul, and he's telling him, he's listing his criteria. There came a lion and a bear and, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him. And we usually get so caught up in the fact that a fleshly man was wrestling with wild apex predators that we skim over the fact that, number one, these were not even his sheep. They were his father's sheep. He's willing to sacrifice his life. I can tell you that the first key attribute of a giant killer is whenever you can lay aside your own agendas and your own schedules and your own life and you find joy and you find peace in purpose in somebody else's mission that is seemingly nothing to do with your own ministry. He says, and I smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him, slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. David has a trend, and I can kind of personal, I can view his personality. And he's dealing with this lion and this bear. And he knows, nobody else knows, because before David's promotion ever took place, before he was ever known as King David, before he ever had a kingdom, he had a private anointing. He had a job that nobody cared about, and he did things that nobody ever knew about. And I can't help but think that God has a similar mindset in the kingdom of God. You may get by for a while, but I've never seen the longevity of a ministry See its way through to the end of somebody that takes shortcuts or they think they're getting one pass, but everything has a process. Everything goes through a trying time. And David was no exception, but he found peace in his period of trying. David gets this boldness. You can tell by the scripture, and I'm a visual learner, so I can just imagine David, and he's looking at these men who are much older than him. They got some men at this table that he probably has to say, excuse me and pardon me, and he's trying to contain himself, but he already knows what he's capable of because God's already proved it to himself. He says, uh, I've done, done all these battles with these predators protecting my father's flock. And he lists his battles that he's already won. I got news for somebody tonight. 
the, first, the second step to being a giant killer is that the next time you find yourself in the valley with a giant, you start listing off the giants that God defeated for you yesterday. I know it's not popular, but you start telling them the time when you were in the hospital, when the doctor said there was zero percent, and you weren't supposed to, Brother Wang, when you weren't supposed to make it, and God seen you through. Has he done it for you? I said, has anybody in the house ever experienced the grace and mercy? Because I shouldn't be here. The grace and mercy of God has kept me. So David, David, I understand that you're zealous because of your youth, and you don't understand, boy. This is a man that's known war. He's known war since you were a boy. He has been in war. 2 Samuel 21, we find David in his old age. Where our text came from tonight, it's talking about the Philistine giants. The Bible says in chapter 21, which was of the sons of the giants, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. And another, another transliteration of this same scripture says that the, whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze was armed with a new sword and he intended to kill David. There's something about this new sword. I read past this several times and it, it never really stood out to me. You know, it's popular that David's in his old age and he's still out there swinging a sword. And if you haven't caught on by now, there's a parallel in the church. And if you can't see it, it's taking place. Many of our great, great forefathers in the faith are slowly dying off one by one. They're retiring. They're moving to an office of a bishop. They're becoming our elders but I can see it in my mind. I can see that I used to listen to this one, and I, I used to go to this meeting, and he was running the backs of the pews, and God used him so mightily in this, this meeting, and all of a sudden there's this gap in this span of time. And the natural flesh says, who's going to fill those shoes? In this message of a generation in need of giant killers, uh, I can't help but tell you that my flesh would tell me that I, didn't, I felt very inadequate to even think of a consideration that I could do half the things that these men did. It was almost incomprehensible to understand the, the shoes these men put on and the places they walked. The meetings they preached, the demons they defeated such as the same of David in Psalm 21. We have an experienced man. He's an older man. Further down in Scripture, we'll get to it, but this, this giant, by this point in David's life, there's really nothing David has not seen at this point. David has fought his own demons, and he's overcome them, and he's faulted and failed, but he's always been a man after God's own heart. He's been able to pick himself up after a failure. I think the biggest key to being a giant killer, because if you wanted to find a man of perfection, you would not pick David out of the Bible. But when we talk about giant killers, he's the first one that comes to mind. But he'd be the first to tell you, I've sinned. I haven't always had it all together. I failed. I've had my shortcomings. I've done things when I shouldn't have. But by the grace and mercy of God, I've picked myself up. I've placed myself onto an altar, and I've repented. We're getting there. David, in his old age, is not 
a man that has not seen the battlefield, this man knows what battle is. He knows what it's like to defeat giants from an, an, a younger age, even into his older age, to the point to where it almost starts costing him his own life. This transliteration says, when he was armed with this new sword, I want to tell you tonight, there's always going to be giants in the land. The thought that you came to this altar and got the Holy Ghost and thought that was the biggest giant you'll ever defeat is a, is a delusion from the devil. You, before you get out of this world, you're going to have a few scars on your wrist. You're going to have some scars on your knees and your back because you're going to learn what it's like to live like a giant killer. If you're going to make it in this last age, if your kids are going to make it to heaven, you're going to know what spiritual warfare is in this hour. We don't live in what they would call peacetime Pentecost. This is the battlefield. This is the place where souls are not only one, but it's where they're kept. This new sword, it's still, there's a delusion from the devil that the giants won't be there. The giants will be there. But can I tell you, this was not the first giant that David faced. It says that he was from the family of the giants. So I could just, in my own mind, say that I could see him thinking, you know, he's got that vengeful spirit that he's about to get, David. I've heard about David. And can I tell every child of God this morning, your biggest testimony is when you wake up and the devil knows you by name. I said, when you wake up in the morning, when nobody's around you, I'm talking to some intercessors that know what it's like to pray in the midnight. When the devil knows who you are, even when you're bleeding, whenever you're hurt and you can't function, the devil knows who you are. That's the kind of legacy I want to have tonight. This new sword, he says, okay, I got something for David. I got this new sword. There's no new thing under the sun. And there's an adversary that will tell you that you came all this way to get saved. Yeah, you came all the way to get baptized and you finally know, you finally know who your Savior is. You finally know who Jesus is. And you finally got some Bible studies under your belt. And you know who the name of Jesus is and what it means and the power that it holds. The adversary would tell you that you've come this far. And maybe you've been in church one or two years. And you're finally starting to figure things out. And you're getting some discernment. And you're understanding that what spiritual warfare is. And you're understanding how we win our battles. The adversary will tell you lies that this is as far as you're going to make it. Just like he's telling David, I got something new for you. You ain't seen this yet, David. You ain't seen this one yet. And I came to encourage some families tonight. I felt this for the last few weeks. Even if they're not here there's a spirit in the church for new mamas and a spirit of depression creeps into the home and you think this beautiful baby, the adversary, nobody's talking about it. Nobody's mentioning Nobody sees. Everybody's glad to see my baby. They don't understand the, the web of deceit and lies from the adversary of postpartum. I know this is really specific. I'm just going to preach what God gave me. He says that whenever you get to church, you need to put this smile on your face. I'm telling you right now. If you continue to carry this weight and you got to get to the altar, it's not just good enough just to speak in tongues. It's not just good enough to find a place of repentance. It's not just good enough to hold your husband's hand and walk to the front and get prayed for. You've got to break your flesh. You've got to break it. It is going to be the biggest giant you've ever faced. But in the face of the devil, I don't care what new sword he thinks he has to show you. 
Tell him I'm a child of God. I've got more anointing. I have uncut hair on my head. And make him know your name. I said the devil will lie to you if you'll let him. If you listen to him long enough, he'll start to tell you what you've been fearing to hear. He'll web a weave of lies that come into your mind. Just like David, he says, David, I got something new for you. Something you've never seen before. While some of us are trying to be overly precautious and trying to steer our families away or in ourselves, we're trying to set boundaries to navigate this world that's so confusing sometimes and scary. Some of us have decided to go the other way. And rather than understand that your adversary is holding something to kill you, Rather than acknowledging the fact that it's not just shiny for you to look at. It's not just shiny for you to come and touch and hold. I said, but our youth group better get into their spirit that everything out in that world isn't meant for your ministry. It's not meant to make you get closer to God. Snapchat and TikTok and all these things and the WhatsApp with fake phone numbers and nobody knows what you're doing. It's not meant for you. I know it's tempting, it's tantalating because social media has such a way to cast this image in such a special light. Ain't that how they sell it? We got something new for you. You've never seen it before. If you're not careful, if you're not watching where your kids are going and what they're watching and what they're looking at, they used to have a public broadcasting network, network that predominantly was known for good literature, information for children to learn. For your babies to learn. For your grandbabies to learn. Just to come to find out that they have these ads that stream uncontrollably. And it's, it's during the viewing period of whatever lesson they're in. And it's teaching them that at a very young age, it's okay to question who you are. You see this new shiny thing I got? You ain't seen this one yet, David. And in my spirit, I began to weep because there's things that I know are bad, but I'm not always with my children. But can I tell you one way to defeat the adversary, one way to become a giant killer is not just coming to church on Sunday morning. It's not just coming to church on Sunday night, but it's on a Tuesday night. It's on a Friday night youth service. Why? Because you're not gonna be there for your babies. I said, you better let them be in a church that knows truth, a church that knows boundaries, a church that has power to pull them from the pits of hell. David, I got something you ain't never seen before. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Let us pray. Let us pray. In the name of Jesus, let that intercession flow. Come on, somebody that's watching right now could get the Holy Ghost. Somebody's kid that's struggling could be delivered. We better pray against Goliath's descendants. We better pray against the, the devices and the inventions of Goliath's descendants. He said, David, I got something you never seen before. And the fact of the matter is, the scripture says he intended to kill David. Now, only a giant killer knows this. And if I'm on too much faith, y'all forgive me. David has a care less in the world. I feel the Holy Ghost. There's some mamas right now that know what I'm feeling. Yeah, you've seen the devil before. You know his adversary. 
You kid, you're worried about your children. I don't have to see the sword that Goliath's descendant has. But there's some praying mamas in this church that know what it's like to plead the blood of Jesus over your children when they leave their home. Even when they're working in the church and they're trying to do right for God. You know what it's like that even though Goliath's dead, there's a descendant after Goliath. He said this new sword, I got something you've never seen before. David could care less. In my mind, it does, the scripture doesn't tell us, but if I know David, David still has the same five smooth stones that he had back when he took his Goliath out. And the reason I feel like that is because the world would have you believe that you don't have to put the work into a prayer life. That you don't have to really put all that effort into fasting and consecration. That there's this shortcut that's called emotionalism. That if I play the chords right, and if the songs are keyed just right, that you'll feel something, but there's no power, there's no substance. Bishop Holmes preached something to the, the name of the oldest weapons are the best weapons. And can I just speak to the church? I've watched you pray. I've watched you minister to people in the Holy Ghost in the altar. I just want to reassure you that it has not changed. The assignment has not changed. It is still prayer and fasting. It is still a walk with God. It is still consecration. It is still fasting. It is still coming to the house of God when you don't feel like coming to the house of God. It is still inviting your neighbors and your people in your neighborhood when nobody else is doing it. It still works, church. David with his old weapons. He's watching this new kid on the block, and he's got maybe gray on his face and his hair, whatever he's got, and he's looking at this giant, and he's thinking, this one's going to be easy. The Scripture tells us that they did kill him. But the new sword of this generation worries me, so you have to understand I've been around for a while, seeming, I know I'm young, but I've in church, I, I've seen a lot of things come and go, and I've seen some different demons and different things take men of God down, and things that pull families off the pews that seemingly nobody ever thought was an issue. Come to find out their, their pastor had been coaching them in a caressed kind of way because some people can't be coached. I'll say it again because it's a little quiet. I mean, some people, we have an issue with our flesh. And sometimes when it comes across, even no matter how small the kid gloves are, we have a way of not receiving what the man of God in our life tells us. There wasn't nothing wrong, Pastor. You didn't have, they didn't, the pastor didn't have to tell them to do that. And why do you have to go and tell them to do that? And they shouldn't be that hard on them. It's the same giants, just new swords. It's the same giants, people. It's the same giants. It's the same thing over and over again. It, look, it might look different. It might smell different. It might taste different. But at the end of the day, the devil has the same vices. So he says, this new sword of this generation, and what I've seen in the church is, you, you know, I, I'm all for, I'm for holiness, and I'm prefacing this, prefacing this on purpose. I'm for holiness and separation. I believe the scriptures, I believe the, yeah, we can clap, that is right. Holiness is of God, separation is of God. We shouldn't look like the world, we shouldn't talk like the world. But while as a movement we have captured those so very well, I feel this so strong in the Holy Ghost that when we capture those things that if we're not careful, we got people parading around with Goliath's head full of maggots. It's old. That's the giant you killed 30 years ago. If the church is going to be saved, you better be relevant. I said sin is still in Hollywood, but it's still in social media. 
I said, if you're going to preach against Hollywood, make sure you touch on Instagram and having some boundaries for your family. Make sure you touch on Facebook in the post that you're making for the world to see. I can't help but see the church and we're carrying Goliath's head around. The stench of it, the maggots coming from his face. And we, we just love to tell the world how we're winning. And we've got it all figured out. You know, people can say what they want about people that know God. My dad didn't know God until the last two years of his life. Whatever you want to think. Those people can read you like a book before you ever step on their door. Before they ever get to your doorstep, they know what you're going to tell them. They know if you're real. They know if you're fake. They know if what you're trying to sell them is a bill of goods that will take them to heaven. That's why the white shirt policy on the doorstep hasn't really worked. Because there's no power. There's no name of Jesus. There's no baptism. There's no hope. There's no mercy. There's no grace. I'm going somewhere. So he says, this new sword, it's going to beat all the weapons you've ever seen, David. David finds himself out in chapter 21, verse 17. It says, but Abishai, the son of Zerah, suckered him, smote the Philistine, and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, thou shalt go no more out with us to battle. They seemingly hung him up. That thou quench not the light of Israel. David's age began to be affected, not for the battle these men had watched. And I can just tell my generation, if the youth would hear me tonight, that if you could just watch the steps of your man of God, if you could just pattern yourself and see that, why didn't pastor go there? And why didn't he say those things when he could have said them? And how he, his demeanor is in a room full of men, you will understand that you're watching your own giant killer. Why? Because one day he knows that his shoes will have to be filled. David's training up and had been training. He's been letting these men watch and take note of them. But they didn't want to risk him on the battlefield. But I can imagine David. I can imagine David back at the camp off the battlefield. A king like David doesn't really sit his feet up and say it's over. His giant killers are out there. If I had to imagine David, I imagine David with his men coming in bloodied, scraped, beat up. They're bleeding. Men have died. There's bodies strolled off of the battlefield. David's sitting back at camp, tantalized, just waiting because he can't be out there. And he knows he can't be out there, but his body's telling him one thing, but his mind is still working. And I can tell you that if you ever lose place for elders or leadership or your pastor, your man of God in your life, it's not the fact that they can't fight no more. But God put them in your life to shield you from things you didn't have to experience. Hallelujah. The importance of leadership, understanding our role models, understanding what they contribute to our lives. And as I come to a close, I want to tell us that from that scripture forward, David's name is not mentioned anymore as a giant killer. After verse 17, you will no longer hear him Giving his accolades is almost a resume to kill the next giant. But in 2 Samuel 21 and 22, these four were born to the giant in Gath. Fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. I can tell you that I can see it doesn't take nobody special, but 
I can see the structure that God has so eloquently placed in this church. You're positioned for one of the greatest revivals Florida's ever seen. Your pastor has seen it. I'm telling you that I've seen it. You don't have this many people that are well-equipped and people that are anointed in one place for no reason. You're here on purpose. You're here because God has a work for you to do. But if there's anything that I've learned, it's that sometimes the church, sometimes people like me and my generation, we sit beside the sidelines and we like to spectate. And we like to tell people we had such powerful service. And we tell people that that we know what the power of anointing of God is and that we saw some people get healed in our altars and we might even share it on our platforms and we might even tag the church. In order to get over to the crossover of the next dimension, God said, I got to have some giant killers. God said, I've got to have some people that know what it's like to take a look in the face of the adversary. Not to be weak-kneed and not to be well and not misinformed, but to know that with this, with this mindset, we can take on hell's chief demon. He says, I'm looking for some giant killers. Maybe it's with you. Tonight, consecrating before God all to yourself the call of God that God's put into your life. The word of God that God is speaking into you right now that's telling you to find a ministry in this church that tonight's the night of the crossover. And I don't have to wait until New Year's. I don't have to wait until revival. And I don't have to wait until Impact 2022. But maybe tonight on a Tuesday night, whenever it's raining outside, I gave my life. I sacrificed my life for my calling. And by the hands of his servants. Church, the orders have not changed. Our mission to fulfill the world with the gospel is still the truth. It's still to reach the highways and the hedges. It's the byways. It's bus ministry. It's knocking the doors. It's in the pulpit. It's at the grocery store. It's at the restaurant. It's when you meet your cashier. It's when you buy your groceries. It's when you tip your DoorDash. It's when Uber comes and picks you up. What I feel in the Holy Ghost tonight is that the consecration at this altar that God's been speaking to you. You've never even talked to your wife yet because you can't trust. The devil has sent you a delusion for you not to believe the voice of God. He likes to fill you with, I I, I truly, I've been in the church a while, like I said, but I, I truly believe that the greatest demon to take more people out the church is condemnation. It's the voice of the devil that says you've been too deep and you've been too far and you can't do anything. If you read the Bible just a little bit, you'd understand that anybody, everybody that God has ever decided to put his anointing on was somebody that had scars in a sketchy past. This giant. The giants that we face as a generation. As we cross over. People that have lived for God any amount of time know that there are ebbs and flows to your walk with God. There's mountaintops and there's valleys. There's good days and bad days. And I've got enough scars for everybody underneath this suit coat, but if I can really just help anybody tonight. I ran from my call of God because frankly, The adversary told me that I didn't have a familial heritage of ministry. This is hard for me to to articulate because I truly realized how close I was to hell and how close I was to heaven at the same time. On a pew, my mother fought for her children to go to church my whole life. 
I was a spoiled brat raised in church. I didn't have an appreciation for the things of God. But with my father, he didn't know anything about the church. I'd play those, uh, I'd play those differences, and so I knew what were touchy subjects, and I'd get my way one way or another. As I started to feel the call of God, the adversary would creep in and say, well, you know, so-and-so's father has a church, and gets him to preach on Tuesdays and Fridays and Sundays and whenever, whenever he wants to preach, he can preach. My dad wasn't a preacher. I had no family that were preachers. The nail in the coffin that I want to drive tonight is that there's such thing as a first-generational giant killer. I said there's such thing as a first-generational giant killer. You don't have to walk the way your daddy walks. You don't have to talk the way your mama talks. You don't have to raise your kids the way that you were raised. You don't have to let them experience the demons that you experienced. But you could be a first-generational giant killer. I pray that we don't come casually to this altar. Rather, as a moment of significance in your walk with God, I'd like you to, to visualize right now with every eye closed, every head bowed. I want you to visualize the person that you once were. You know, the one that the devil has reminded you of before you go to this next dimension God's called you to be. You've heard the voices of the adversary say you're not good enough. You don't have the pedigree. You don't have the family to live this oneness life. But if God's calling you to a deeper place, if God's calling you to ministry of some sort, if God's calling you to reach the lost and reach your city or reach your family, I want you not to vow to me. I want you to make a vow with God and yourself that you're finally going to bury the past that God does not even remember. As you make steps towards the front, you can be a first-generation giant killer. You can understand what a life of peace is. You can understand what the mercies of God are and not have to watch over your back. And you can raise your family with the blessings of God. As we talk to God, this isn't about nobody else around you. If this is for one person, my, my mission will have been fulfilled but that God reaches the full potential in your life tonight to cross over, to carry the torch, to defeat the giants your parents maybe didn't have the strength to defeat. Come on, to win the family that your family couldn't win, to live a life that your mother always wanted you to live. Let us pray. Let us pray in the Holy Ghost. Come on, this service, this type of service demands a response in the spirit. Come on, God's made an appointment for you in your journey. I know it's Tuesday night. I know we're tired, but God is the God of small things. Giant killer. Not addict. Crap. Not addict. Giant killer. Not alcoholic. Giant killer. Not adulterer, giant killer. I'll see you. Come on, not a liar, giant killer. Let him make your name great. Let him make your family's name great. Come on, hear the call. Hear the call. Come on, God's drawing you. 
Come on, you may have fell off the tracks. You may have stumbled a little bit. Tonight's the night. It's okay. It's okay. You're going to have a lot, lot more scars before you get out of here. Pick yourself up. Pick yourself up. Pick yourself up. Come on. Deep consecration. When nobody's watching. When nobody hears you. That's what I